Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and this is our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We recorded this on Friday. It's Mary Kay, Scott, and I. We talk about the Browns' rookie class. Of course, they held their first rookie minicamp practice on Friday. So we went through the draft class and kind of tried to figure out ideal roles for each guy here early on in this process. So that's coming up here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Of course, I need to tell you about Football Insider, where you can get an exclusive newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day, access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can be a part of our texting. We were texting a lot of stuff on Friday leading into and during practice. So go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get more information and get signed up. Okay, let's get our week started here. The Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Monday Orange and Brown Talk podcast, and we are going to go through the Browns rookie class. It is rookie minicamp weekend, or it was rookie minicamp weekend. Not a whole lot to see at practice. It was kind of a glorified, I don't want to say a walkthrough, a lot of individual stuff. So I thought maybe what we could do is go through the draft class and figure out what we think the ideal roles for these players are. So let's just start at the top. And it rolls in year one. We're not talking five years down the road. Let's start at the top. Greg Newsom II, number 26 overall. Is his ideal role in year one the starting cornerback, Mary Kay? You know, I, I have a feeling it's probably going to end up that way uh, because so often when you draft a player in the first round, that player starts for you as a rookie. That's just usually how it goes. Now, he's got a lot of catching up to do. He's only 20 years old. He started or played in only, I think, 21 games in college. Uh, so he doesn't have a ton of football under his belt. He was injured for at least three games in each of his seasons. So he's got to come up the learning curve. There's no question about that. Greedy Williams, if he's 100% healthy, I think has a little bit of the edge going in uh, because he's got that whole season under his belt. And he was determined to get better last year before the nerve injury, nerve damage in his shoulder. So I think he does have the edge just in terms of experience right now. And he played at a high level in college as well. And he played at a very, very high level at LSU. So I, I would have to think that, that Greg is go, going to have to come in here and earn it. But those guys usually end up starting as rookies. Now, no matter how you slice it, he's going to play a lot. You need three starting cornerbacks and 
he's going to fill in for injuries, whether it be Denzel, who misses three or four games a year, Greedy, who might miss some time. He's going to be on the field. In terms of landing that starting job, I don't know if it's going to be week one. Once again, they might not have OTAs as we know them, although I suspect that players are going to start showing up for some OTAs after what's been going on in the NFL. But I think I'm going to say that he's going to be a in the rotation early on and work his way into the starting lineup as the season goes along. Yeah, ideally, he's not a starter, right? Ideally, Greedy Williams uh, is ready to go and plays like uh, like somebody who is making a jump from you know his rookie year. And then you can have Greg Newsom come along at a, a slower pace, not have to throw him in there right away. But you also want him to be like Terrence Mitchell light, you know, or, or maybe a step above Terrence Mitchell either, uh, and, and be the guy who's ready to go at any, at, at any moment. And you want Greedy Williams to come back and be able to claim that. I think that's the best case scenario for the Browns. But, you know, this, this pick was about making sure they're covered in case he doesn't. So either way, I think the Browns are fine however it goes. Greg Newsom was picked in the first round because they think he can come in and be a contributor right away. But at the same time, they got somebody else who, who I'm sure they're hoping can get back to that level too. I think the experience thing is, is an interesting discussion because he did play three years at Northwestern, even though he's so young, but you know, like you said, America, he didn't play a ton of games necessarily. And he has had injury issues. And I don't know, some of this might depend on what, I guess what training camp looks like a little bit. We are going to get a preseason this year. I mean, if training camp is still a little weird and it doesn't look like training camps in years past, maybe that gives the edge to Greedy Williams because he does have that experience. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I think Greg Newsom is going to push him. I, I really do. It wouldn't surprise me if, and that that's a tough ask to put him out there in week one against Kansas city. But at the same time, you know, you can make that case against a lot of teams. There's a lot of good receivers and offenses in this league. It wouldn't surprise me if he pushed Greedy Williams. And I, you know, I, I don't think you take a guy number 26 necessarily to not have him be a starter. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I, I think he's going to come in and push pretty hard. Yeah. And, you know, you make a great point about that opening game against the Kansas City Chiefs. When you have rookies, sometimes it's about uh, confidence and making sure that you don't shatter it right away if you can avoid doing that. Now, sometimes you have to start a guy right away because you don't have anybody else. They were going to have to start Jedrick Wills right away at left tackle, no matter what. But uh, they do have options. They don't have to start greedy right away. And the other thing to keep in mind is Joe Hayden did not start at cornerback until about halfway through the season as a rookie. And he was the number seven overall pick. Went on to become a Pro Bowl player. So, you know, it can be done in all different kinds of ways. Denzel started right away and he made the pro bowl as a rookie is, is Greg to that level. He was picked a lot lower. Uh, so I guess we'd have to say no, but you know, I mean, it's just about how they want to manage that situation there in the defensive backfield, how healthy greedy Williams is in training camp and how fast Greg Newsom comes along. Yeah, I think the best case scenario at cornerback is really good. You end up with two guys who are good enough to start, right? Uh, and worst case scenario isn't as bad as it would have been last year, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if, if you have to make some decision on these guys in two years, that's great. That means you've got two really good corners here, and that, that's fine. That's 
that's a good problem to, to have to have on top of having Denzel Ward out there. Okay, the next guy on the list is Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. So he kind of got a lot of time by himself today uh, when we were out of practice. We're recording this on Friday. He got a lot of time by himself today, Mary Kay, with Jason Tarver, because another guy, Tony Fields, who we're going to talk about a little later, was not out there. So it was just sort of, you know, normally you're used to seeing these lines of guys just lined up and taking their reps. It was Owusu Koromoa taking his reps over and over again with, with Coach Tarver. He said today that he kind of sees his role as being that will linebacker. What do you guys see his role being here in, in year one? I guess the, the question here is really kind of like, how much is too much for this guy in year one? You know what? I, I really have a feeling that he is going to crack the starting lineup pretty early, maybe in that first game. And if he doesn't start, if he's not on the field for the very first play, I think he's going to be in there a lot. I think that they want, that's the guy that they want. They're so excited about him. Again, they almost drafted him in the first round. If Greg Newsom had not been there and maybe one other guy hadn't been there, he was on that list there at number 26. If you're ready to draft a guy in the first round, uh, you're ready to, to pretty much throw him into the starting lineup, especially at a position like linebacker where you don't have a ton of guys uh, that are just tearing it up there. So I think he's going to start very early maybe the first week. And let me say this about what I watched on Friday, the very first day of rookie camp about him. I watched him pick things up very quickly. They didn't have to tell him things twice. They told him something and he got it. They, they had him dropping back a lot. And I, and I noticed, and there was, there was another player where it wasn't quite like that, where, where another player wasn't just quite as fast in terms of picking up the coaching points. And, and Jeremiah Owusu Koromora, Koromoa, uh, he was getting it and he was hitting his mark. And then he was also catching the ball. He was catching the football. I think that they're going to get him on the field early and often. And Dan, I'm sure you felt the same way I did watching him. He does look small. He is the size of a safety. I mean, there's just no (laughs) other way to slice it. He looks like a defensive back when you see him in person. He just does. He looks like a defensive back, but they don't care what he looks like. They don't care. But when I saw him, I thought, okay, this might be why he dropped. He looks pretty darn small, but he also looked fast. He also looked agile. He had good hands and he looked smart. I mean, he's competing with, with, with Malcolm Smith and, and Mac Wilson, basically to, to get on the field. And he's probably going to get graded maybe on a little more of a curve than, than Mac, Malcolm Smith, as far as uh, trying to get him on the field. Uh, he said today that he, you know, third down, will linebacker, nickel, nickel passing situations that, you know, that's the role that's made for him. And, you know, if he is the guy in week one, that, that's great. That means he he's gotten to a point through camp and through the preseason games that, you know, they feel safe putting him out there other than you know, over Malcolm Smith. It's good to know that they have that experienced guy there and Smith, if things don't work out right away, or if JOK makes a few too many mistakes, early on, but uh, ideally he's that guy and, and you're getting him on the field because if you have him on the field and you also have Grant Delpit on the field behind him and John Johnson, you're in really good shape as far as, you know, countering the matchup problems that the offense is going to try and cause. So they want him out there because of his ability. And I have a feeling you're right, Mary Kay, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and I do agree with you. When, when you see him, he, he looks like a safety, but he doesn't look like a small safety. I mean, he looks, you know, he's big, 
he just doesn't look like that linebacker. It also doesn't help that he's wearing number 28. So that just naturally your mind goes to safety. But that also kind of makes me think, and we've talked a little bit about this. If you're a quarterback and you go out there and you're coming up to the line and you've got a 28 out there and you've got, you know, John Johnson back there who could be lining up at linebacker. You don't know where this 28 guy is going to line up. Uh, JOK, you've got Ronnie Harrison somewhere out there, maybe Grant Delpit. You've got all these guys wearing 20s and 30s, and you've got to identify the mic and you've got to figure out where guys are lining up and who's matching up against who and, and all of this stuff. It, I think he's going to be a, a complicated, he's a complicated player, I think, for the Browns to figure out. But I think he's going to be a complicated player for these quarterbacks to figure out too. Yeah. And, you know, uh, early on, you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't going to know where he's going to be or what he's going to be or how to, you know, ID those guys. There's going to be a lot of subterfuge going on with this defense, a lot of versatility that leads to ambiguity. And so it is going to be difficult for quarterbacks to sort this out when they're at the line. Now, fortunately for Patrick's sake, you know, he's so mobile that he can just get himself out of trouble most of the time. But I do think this will create plenty of matchup problems and just watching him move around today. Uh, he moves really, really well. Now he didn't run his 40 uh, at his pro day. And I was told that, um, you know, there's a chance he didn't want to do that because the numbers might not have been super flashy, like for some of the other quarterback uh, linebackers that they would be, but he plays fast. He plays fast on tape. And that is why he's here. Yeah. We're going to find out real quick in that first game. If, if his addition and John Johnson's addition and, and Delpit being on the field, if that improves uh, the Browns' ability to cover tight ends, mm-hmm. because uh, they're going to see Travis Kelsey right off the bat. I think they were a top five in tight end catches against and touchdowns against last season, and it's they've been in the top five a lot over the last you know five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then this is where opening with Kansas City is so tough because we're going to see some like look. He might look bad in that first game if Greg Newsom is starting. He might look bad in that first game, but it, it's just. It's going to be hard, I think, to, to judge these guys against Kansas City for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Anthony Schwartz. He was the other day two pick. And let's just put it out there. We watched him today in practice, and there were some issues with the hands. Mm-hmm. Had a number of drops. You know, everybody who was there saw them. Mary Kay, you asked Kevin Stefanski about it after. Hey, look, we can't judge this guy on one rookie minicamp practice. But, you know, it's tough to see the first impression of a guy to see the ball on the ground as as much as we did with with Anthony Schwartz. Yep. And Dan, as you know, I took one for the team (laughs) and I asked the question (laughs) because, you know, it it needed to be asked. I think I thought it needed to be asked. And um, and it wasn't, you know, it was just something that we, you know, we just couldn't walk around the elephant in the room. He he dropped a fair amount of passes today, significant amount. And we're talking about, you know, just easy little floaters and stuff like that. So I'm chalking this up to just rookie jitters, not knowing the guy that's throwing the ball to you, you know, just a lot of different things, you know, knocking off the rust a little bit. You know, this was Friday, the very first day of rookie minicamp. And it's one of those situations where I firmly believe, and we're this, you're hearing this on Monday. So we're not going to be out there on Saturday. I have a feeling that on the second day of rookie minicamp, by the time you're listening to this, that he probably had a really nice day and he probably hung on 
to everything that came his way. Because I would have to think that once he watches the film of this or reflects back over his day, that he was going to come back and really button it up and go out there and get that turned around in a hurry. He seems like such a fine young man. We talked to him on the Zoom on Friday. Just a really cool guy to talk to. Uh, I've watched our sister site, AL.com, did a, did a great three-part documentary on him. And he's just a really, really neat individual. Fans are going to end up really liking him a lot. But we all know uh, he's, he's kind of a, you know, more of a, he doesn't want to be known like this, but he still has the reputation of he's a track guy playing football. He wants to shed that. Uh, and I think he's going to do everything it possibly takes to become an NFL receiver. We were talking before that we started recording here. I, I, it's his first practice. I'm not going to put too much weight on it. I was looking up his drops last year. He had eight drops with Auburn. He had 63 catches, eight drops. That's basically what Austin Hooper did last year. Uh, about 55 catches, seven drops for him. I don't think any of us came away from last season thinking Austin Hooper can't catch the ball. Anthony Schwartz is a rookie and he comes with that label of being a one trick pony. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's got to overcome that. And I guess maybe he's pushed himself a little bit beyond the, uh, or behind the starting line today with those drops. But it, like, if he's still doing that, you know, two, three months from now, then that's, that's, that's going to be an issue. The thing about this coaching staff and, you know, he's, we already, we know he's obviously working with Jarvis Landry a lot they aren't going to just let him spin his wheels. You know, he's working with Chad O'Shea. He's working with Alex Van Pelt. He's working with all these coaches. And we've, we have proof, right, that this coaching staff really knows how to develop guys and really knows how to work with guys. And they're not going to bail on him because he had one tough rookie minicamp practice. This is the time to do it. Get out there and get those drops out of the way now because they're going to need you on Sundays in September because, right, his ultimate role even though this isn't what he wants to be pigeonholed into, it's probably safe to say in year one, he really is going to be more of, of kind of that gadgety guy. He's, you know, he's not going to be wide receiver one or wide receiver two this year. And, and he doesn't need to be. That's absolutely true. I mean, he, they will put him on the field. They'll, they'll have a package. As long as he comes up the learning curve, they'll have a package of plays in for him and they'll make that known. Because if you do that, then the other team has to prepare for you. And you want to give that other team as much to think about as humanly possible. And when you have to think about 4.26 speed, which is the official time of his pro day, when you have to think of that kind of speed, uh, you really have to work on who's going to cover that guy. When are they going to take that deep shot to him? Who's, you know, and all those kind of things. So I think that he will have plays in right, right off the bat as providing uh, he comes along. And I do think that working with Jarvis Landry is going to be the best thing for him. That's exactly what he needs. He needs a guy like that, that runs very precise routes and works so incredibly hard on his hands. How many times have we seen after training camp practices, Odell and Jarvis just standing there on the jugs, catching a bunch one-handed, catching a bunch with the other hand, you know, catching them from behind on their hip all over the place. Uh, these guys have a work ethic that is unparalleled or at least uh, right up there with anybody else in the NFL. So he's learning that right now when they're working out together down at House of Athlete and other areas in South Florida. And if he gets on the field this year and he does well, 
a lot of that is going to be able to be traced back to this time that he's spending with Jarvis. Schwartz seems like a good candidate to be this year's Damon Sheehy Giuseppe <laughs> in terms of being the last guy off the practice field. I just remember him during camp being out there all the time. He would find some cornerback and they would just keep running through, you know, stepping off the line and just little things like that or, or working with the jugs machine. Uh, I think uh, that might be the, you know, that might be a good, uh, a good path to follow for Anthony Schwartz if he wants to be more than just that jet sweep guy. And, and by the way, I mean, speaking of Jarvis, who again has that reputation of having great, great hands and he gets targeted a ton too. So that contributes to this, but you know, Jarvis has generally had five to seven drops a season. It it's part of the game, but if you can make the big catches and the big moments and be reliable and be where you're supposed to be. Right. I mean, Jarvis has made spectacular catches for Baker Mayfield. It can, it can kind of cancel some of that stuff out. So, uh, you know, again, some of that comes from he's targeted so, so much and, and Anthony Schwartz isn't going to have that luxury, but you know, be reliable, make the plays when they're there and, and you can, people will erase those drops from their memories very quickly. Well, okay, wait, Dan, I, the other thing ahead. real quick to, about this is that um, it sometimes takes a receiver a little while to adjust to the speed and the velocity of a Baker Mayfield pass. It comes in like a wrecking ball. I've said that numerous times. Even Odell at times has struggled a little bit with, with the revolution, with the speed uh, and, and the impact of catching a Baker Mayfield pass. Um, I think Austin Hooper last year, I think he was still – struggling not struggling but still adjusting to the baker mayfield ball jarvis jarvis has it down Rashard has it down uh but it might take anthony schwartz a little while uh for what's about to hit him in training camp okay i don't think we need to spend a lot of time on james hudson because mm-hmm. his role in 2021 is to if everything goes right not play sir i mean he looked big today that was one thing he, he looked big today when we saw him on friday uh, so let's move on. Tommy Togiai, I don't want to say a significant role necessarily this year, but I think he's going to be a factor on this defensive line this year. Well, he played at a high level. Once again, some of these guys, obviously, that play at the level that these guys play at against the competition that they do and make it into the finals. I mean, the, these guys have played some pretty darn good football. Therefore, when you get a guy from an LSU or an Ohio state, you can expect them to contribute pretty much right away. So I would think that, that he is going to be somehow part of the tackle rotation, you know, maybe not a huge part, maybe not, maybe not the third guy, maybe not even the fourth guy, uh, because now there's a lot of competition there, Uh, but he's going to get in there. He's going to be part of it. He looked big today too, by the way. Yeah. I, I think that you can expect to see him, Pretty early and often. Yeah, last year it was basically a four-man uh, situation in the in the middle of the line, and Vincent Taylor was at the bottom of that with 244 snaps, and that that includes the postseason. Um, so it was mostly Richardson and Ogan Joby. They both had over 700 snaps, and then they worked in Jordan Elliott with 350. So basically, it comes down: is he the third or fourth guy? You know, I'm sure they all want Jordan Elliott to take a, a jump and be able to, to actually be a guy who gets significant snaps uh, after, you know, spending a, 
a pretty high draft pick on him. We are, we're all assuming Malik Jackson is a guy who's going to start. And then it comes down to you know, Billings and Togia. And I, you know, he could be the fourth guy. And if, and that's not a horrible thing if he is, and if he's only, you know, only getting 200, whatever snaps and getting time on special teams again, you know, any of these rookies, none of them really have to come in and be the guy. And they did a really good job with free agency and, and last year and building a, a really good roster that's deeper than probably it's been since they came back in 99. So if he's the fourth guy, that's not a big deal. I'll, uh, I'll say this, I'll tell you who looked at the part today and it's not a surprise because he was such a high pick, but I, I looked out there and saw Malik McDowell and, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I, I see the, the physical attributes uh, in, in that guy as he, he was participating in, in rookie minicamp as well. All right, next up on our list is a guy we didn't see on Friday, but I wonder what his role is going to be. Tony Fields dealing with a foot injury, going to miss a few weeks. Is it special teams mostly for Fields, Mary Kay, or do you think he's going to get, a, get an opportunity to play a linebacker? I, I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure where those linebacker reps will come, if it's Malcolm Smith and, you know, I don't know, Anthony Walker whoever else might be out there, some safeties lining up at linebacker fields might have to make his impact on special teams. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think he's going to start out on special teams and, and have to earn some reps at linebacker. And he played at a pretty high level of competition for three years. He was in Arizona for three seasons before uh, he played at West Virginia as a graduate student. So he's got a lot of football under his belt as well. Uh, and I think that there's a chance that if he shows enough, and has that kind of speed that they're looking for and has the same body style uh, that Jeremiah has, that he has a chance to get some reps at linebacker. Uh, but he's going to have to earn those and he's, he's going to have to show very early on uh, that he deserves those reps because it's starting to get a little bit crowded at linebacker, believe it or not. And, you know, and I don't necessarily think he's slated for a huge role early on, except for on special teams, as you mentioned. Yeah, I agree. I think special teams, it, it seems like I think we've talked about this before. What are the odds that they get him, that they wave him and get him to the practice squad? I mean, he's a fifth round pick. I don't know that you're kind of like on the borderline there. So they might want to keep him on the roster, but even they do that, he's definitely the the last, you know, the bottom rung there on that linebacker room. So I think definitely special teams is where you want him to excel. Okay. So another guy, and, and this was just, this was something interesting I saw on Friday, Richard LeCount safety, not a, not a huge guy. Actually, looked a little bigger than that 5'11", 196 they list him at. He came over at one point and was working with Jason Tarver in the linebacking core. Just, just a, not the linebacking core. There was one other linebacker there. But he was, he was spending some time working with Jason Tarver. So not going to be a linebacker, but I think this was maybe an early indication that these safeties are going to spend a little time maybe working with that group as we move forward, which isn't a surprise. But LeCount, again... Similar to Fields, right? This is probably a guy that's going to get most of his work on special teams because that safety room is pretty packed. Yeah, and you know, I think they just brought Richard over to work with the linebackers because there was only one linebacker. Possibly. And and Jeremiah was getting a little tired and a little lonely over there. Just a little too much one-on-one attention and he needed a little company. So they brought Richard over and that's when it really kind of stood out to me. I, th- I took a photo of the two of them together. I think I might've tweeted it out. That's kind of really where it sort of hit you that, wow, Jeremiah is not that much bigger than the safety. Now he's listed 
as weighing significantly more than, than Richard uh, LeCount. So I don't know if he is at his full 221 because I've seen him listed at different weights, Jeremiah. So not really sure he's you know at that weight right now. But yeah, I watched Richard for a little bit. And I think the thing with Richard is that he is, he's going to have to work. He's going to really, really have to work and he's going to have to take the coaching. And when I talked to Mo Wells, Richard LeCount works out at house of athlete with a bunch of other Browns players. And he had some interesting things to say about him, the head trainer at house of athlete. He said, you know, Richard is just, is going to have to like work his tail off is what he basically said. And he's going to have to really take the coaching and he's going to have to stick his nose in the playbook. And he's going to just have to work at a level that he's never really ever had to before. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I saw a little tiny bit of that today. Hearing that he's working a little bit with, in the line, with the linebackers, it made me think of the Chiefs last year against the Bills. The Chiefs used four safeties on the field like 75% of the time against the Bills, like through like two and a half quarters just tons of safeties. They just flooded the back of the, of the field and, and Josh Allen had a rough time. So that makes me think then of the Browns and how we've talked about it. Let's, you know, they want to get their best players on the field on defense. And that probably includes three safeties. Well, if you have three safeties or even four, some of those guys are going to have to come down. And remember last year, how they kept saying they wanted to cross train all their linebackers. I wonder if they want to do that with their safeties and have them ready to kind of be a linebacker sometimes. And have some more athleticism on the field and get their quote unquote best players on their back seven on the field. And I'm not saying like counts one of them, but it, we're, we're going to see a lot of safeties and he figures to be at least, you know, on the roster, probably battling Sheldrick Redwine for that last spot. So it's good to hear that they're kind of being a little versatile of how they kind of prepare these guys for the season. It'll be interesting to see what Grant Delpit looks like next to uh, like a Jeremiah, right? Cause I mean, he's a, he's a big guy and, and that that's going to be an interesting look right there. I do think it's, it, it's fascinating to wonder, you know, really what does differentiate a small linebacker versus a big safety and the lines are blurred. Now the lines are very blurred, but I think speed is probably the number one thing. Okay. Uh, last one here is Demetric Felton. Now I did not get, a great look at Felton really too much on Friday. He was kind of working sort of far away from us, but Felton's role, again, this is a really interesting one with Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt. There's not a ton of opportunity there for a third back, but they did find some runs for Dearness Johnson last year, and they did find some opportunities for him. So I guess just naturally that's where you would put him is, is in that Dearness Johnson role and maybe even, as a return guy, if he shows that, that he can do that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's about where he's at and what he'll be. You know, he can earn more time by proving to them that he can do some different things for them and create some mismatches wherever they decide to line him up. We know that he can play receiver uh, and we know that he could play running back. And so they might find some things for him to do just once again, to create that confusion about, are you running the ball or are you passing it? Uh, I mean, if you put Demetric Felton, Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb on the field at times, you know, you might really have to wonder pre-snap what the heck is going to happen here. I-, I could see a package like that. Uh, I actually, and I've said this many times before, 
thought that they would use Kareem and Nick together more last year that, than they did. I think they should do that again more this year than they did last year. And now let's get Demetric Felton on the field with those two at times and, you know, split one out wide motion one over there, you know, have them crisscrossing and doing all kinds of different things. Yeah. I think his, his role is probably his best role for getting on the team is going to probably be return guy. If he can do that, ideally he falls somewhere between Duke Johnson and Dontrell Hilliard, right? Like as far as ability, because Duke's probably the, he's the high bar there for a guy who can, who can run and also kind of move out into the slot. So a guy who's a six round pick, that's, that's a long jump. So can he beat out to Ernest Johnson though? That's the big question because Dernis Johnson's already proven he can do things on special teams. Maybe they feel Felton has a little more versatility and ability than Ernest Johnson. When Johnson was on the field, it was usually an emergency situation, and it's not like they were getting really creative with him. Uh, he was basically doing the same kind of things Chubb uh, was doing. So you would assume that Felton would be used a little more uh, as a receiver, just looking at, you know, I think it, it's the uh, senior bowl. Didn't he pretty much just work out as a, as a receiver? Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how they, how they use them, but they already like, you got Jojo Natson as a guy who can do a lot of things. They, they had packages for, you got Anthony Schwartz thrown in there. You're getting Odell Beckham jr. Back, you know, Felton's pretty far down the list. I think as far as guys that they can be creative with and hand the ball off to, because you got a bunch of guys who've already done it and done it well, you know? So you don't like my idea. You don't want to, you don't want to throw him out there with Nick and Kareem for a couple of plays. I'm sure they'll use him in those roles, but not with the first team. I, I would be surprised just, you know, based no, on what they have coming back in the wide receiver room, but I'm sure that's what he'll be used with, you know, on the second team. There are, there's so much that they can do with this offense, right? I mean, there's, there's an embarrassment of riches, I think, in terms of weapons and all the different things that you can do. And that's why it's almost like there are too many mouths to feed. I mean, there are so many guys that should each have 1,000 yards, including your two running backs, your two receivers, at least one of your tight ends, right? I mean, like, everybody should be getting 1,000 yards. We'll see. Mary Kay, I'll tell you this. When you started talking about having three backs yes. in the backfield at the Don't same time. It. Don't say it. There was There's a certain tight ends coach in New Jersey whose ears perked up, got real excited. <laughs> And wishing he was sitting in that media room in Berea making jokes about the wishbone. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I mean, I can see it. If, and I can't be mentioned in the same sentences that <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> I was going to say for, for the record, there were 15 plays with three running backs uh, last season in the NFL. So that would be a really cool new wrinkle uh, and evolution. You know, we talked about how this offense needs to evolve. That would be one way to do it for sure. Like I said, it's probably a long shot, but if Demetric Felton proves that he is worth a little bit of playing time, that's certainly one interesting way uh, that you could try to get him on the field and try to confuse the defense. Hey, Kevin Stefanski said he would steal anything. And that, well, maybe that, wishbone, that wishbone formation was like the darling of like when he, when Freddie rolled that out, it was, 
like, whoa, that's cool. And it worked. <laughs> Maybe Kevin will go back in the archives and see it and think, let's run this a little bit. We can do some stuff with this. But I mean, the reason why it would make a little bit of sense, of course, again, he has to be ready for it, is because some teams viewed him just as a receiver. For that reason alone, you could get super creative and, and motion him around and figure something out. I want to see it. It's going to happen. Actually, I was, I, was, I was wrong. I was only looking at 31 personnel. There were, if you add in 32 and 30, then there were 34 plays with three running backs on the field. So maybe it isn't as rare as I initially thought. Still, it's only 34. Now we have to break that down and find out how many of those included a running back who also could have been drafted as a receiver. Sounds like go. a job for Ellis. <laughs> that'll do it for our monday edition of the orange and brown talk podcast of course make sure you're subscribed to football insider it's the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns and that you're subscribed to our podcast here the orange and brown talk podcast wherever you listen to your podcast so for mary Kay and scott i'm dan thanks for listening everybody